Obviously, no. Honey, why don't you introduce Mike? Uh, and Naomi went into public school, fourth and sixth grade, and uh, they went to Georgia and then Essex. Um, Levi is still being homeschooled, so that's what I do. And I teach his class, which is very fun, time-consuming. <laughs> um, and what else? That's good. Know. Is that it? That's okay. good. All right, well, I'm Elisa Parker. This is Brad. Um, we have three children, Isaiah, Simon, and Miriam, nine, seven, and five. Um, I am a part-time homeschooling mom and a part-time physician, uh, specifically in pediatric and adolescent medicine. And I'm Brad, and I, I'm the associate pastor here. Okay, so let's just... Start off with a question to kind of get the juices flowing for our friends. If you need coffee, friends, go get it. Until uh, you feel fresh and ready. Uh, okay. So, just a question for kind of everybody. What do you think? What do you think are challenges that are a bit more particular to kids as they get older that that you experience, as opposed to? Parenting younger kids. I was. I would say one of the challenges is that they're figuring out who they are as people and kind of growing into that and testing the waters of what that means. I mean, if they're a leader and you know somebody who's going to be a little bit more out there, they're they're trying that with you. If there's somebody who's going to be super creative, they're, you know, they're trying all those, the things that might make them creative. And part of the challenge as a parent is that your kids aren't all going to fit in the same spots, that, the same kind of holes that they fit in when they were tiny and kind of all did the same thing. They start kind of diverging a little bit and becoming their own people. Yeah, other thoughts? I would say that... Um, it is a time where they're thinking about who am I, where do I fit in this world, and that relationship is actually a really big deal because um, who do I fit in with, where do I fit in, uh, I'd say relationship, and then purpose, I believe, is another just sort of major category that's out there that um, teens are thinking about or not thinking about and sometimes just struggling under that um, if they're not conscious of it. Um, so those are two big things, and then I think a lot of the other issues sort of stem from those. Off of what you said, I think they are questioning, but it doesn't actually look like that. Like, they're not like, Mom, I'm really thinking about who I am. It's really like a... I don't like what you're telling me, you know. <laughs> That's what it actually looks like versus, hmm, I'm really pondering the reality of, you know, whatever. So um, I actually envision how, you know, when they're young, there's this the funnel idea, and there's just always this kind of bouncing against the sides of that. Like you have, you have these um, restrictions because they're little and they need rules and boundaries, and so as they're getting bigger, you're widening the funnel, and there's still some bouncing up against those boundaries, and it just always feels like a struggle. 
instead of like, ah, they're in, they're enjoying the freedom they now have as a young adult. No, they're not. They're still mad that there's still a boundary, which is good. And I like what Holly said at one of the, um, the, uh, baby showers was that they're like a night watchman, you know, checking the door to make sure it's locked, not trying to escape. I mean, they are kind of trying to escape, but, you know, in reality, <laughs> they're trying to escape. But really, those boundaries are there for their good. And so I, it's just the struggles become bigger, I think, as they get older. I, I'm hoping one day they go, thank you, Mom, for those boundaries. They, they were helpful. Right. They will. <laughs> the other thing that I would say. But even say, if they don't, we still have to, we have, we still have, have to children. exercise yeah. them. Even if they don't, though, we still have to exercise them because we know that that's what's right, because that's what God does with us. So even for those who never turn around to God and say, you were so right and I was not, God still knows that it was right for his law to be given and they broke his law. So too for us as parents. It's right for us to have those appropriate boundaries in place, whether or not they ever turn around and thank us. Because remember, we're not parenting for our satisfaction. That's a lie, and that's idolatry, and that's something that we fall into, is that we parent in a way that we want to be liked and appreciated. But that's not the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is parenting with eternity in view, trying to prepare them for eternity, which means I'm actually not parenting because it's satisfying to me or enjoyable, the Instagram pick. Um, but I'm parenting for the glory of God, trying to teach them about God's law, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's justice, and all of that comes through setting appropriate boundaries and relating to them. Sorry. Monologue over. No, I was just going to say one other thing about teenagers is that everything is incredibly intense. Oh. So there's, yeah, so there's not, there's not, you know, this, this kid that is kind of annoying. He's the worst kid ever in our class. He's so, so you can't even believe mom how bad it is. Or, you know, this sweater is not my favorite sweater. It's, if anything ever happens to this sweater, I just might die because I just, I love it so much and I need, I just, I can't even live without it. And I, so everything is super intense and you just have to be careful as a parent not to get sucked into like to under to, to take that for what it is yeah I, I think that's actually a great word because i want to say as, as your pastor i'm just a normal person okay so if like if, if you imagine if you're like i'd like to walk around the walters home i bet there's a holy spirit aura just everywhere oh no 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 not not oftentimes there's not unfortunately um so sometimes i hear things like that from my older kids and i just i react to what they're saying not necessarily trying to get underneath this and recognize, okay, they're just overreacting. Instead, I'm like, that's not the truth. Speak the truth to yourself. Uh, you know, and I just, yeah, you know, I just go hard on them sometimes when I actually should just back up, at least in my approach, not necessarily in the reality of it. It is not true. But sometimes I'm just like, oh my gosh, why are you overreacting to everything? And so I, in righteous anger, overreact. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> I would say that uh, for teenagers, uh, th- there's two things. One is obviously they have been male or female ever since they were born, before they were born. But obviously they're, uh, they're awakening into that uh, maleness and females, femaleness is getting ready to be used in sexual ways the way God intended it. Uh, but of course sin twists them. So it's complicated. Uh, the other thing spiritually is 
Hey, Brad, I don't know what's going on, but your mic doesn't like you. Use this one. So then the other thing that's happening spiritually is uh, our kids, when they're young, uh, tend to just take what we say about God and about the world and about the scriptures at face value and about Jesus as they ought to. That's part of God's design. But when they get to the, these years, then it they begin to really think about, okay, what do I think about this myself? I know mom and dad have told me this, uh, and um, hopefully you've been living that out in consistent patterns so that the hypocrisy factor is low and so that they continue to say, yeah, and this really does work. I see that in mom and dad. But obviously they're, uh, uh, they tend to have more experience and exposure to the sinful influences in the world or just the worldly influence of the world. And so uh, it gets more complicated spiritually as well as they're evaluating the gospel on their own terms. I think one thing is you gotta um, you got you gotta um, have a thick skin too because you were you had kids that were hanging all over you when they were little. When they're big, they won't want to be your friend anymore, and uh, <clears throat> you gotta not take that personally, which I did a lot. <laughs> um, but you gotta be united with your partner and hold your ground and not try to be their friend. Because that doesn't work out. Well, let me. I, so I have some other thoughts that I could share, or some other seed thoughts for things that we could discuss. But I don't want this to just be a conversation that we're having, and then others are actually like, "I have questions that I didn't get to answer, or didn't get to ask." Do you have questions related to anything that's been brought up thus far, or anything related to the material we've covered in the latter half of the core seminar? Anything on your mind, Heather, Chris? I have a quick question for the men. Okay. Because you've got. You guys have to, well, you've got older boys. Do you find that, we always say, well, the girls are hormonal. Are boys hormonal? I mean, do you have, and, you know, do you find that with the men in your family, the boys in your family, not the men in your family, but hopefully you guys have gotten past it if so. But <laughs> is it true, or? Uh, well, so I think every kid's going to be different for, for us thus far. Our boys have been more hormonal than our girls. Than our girl. Yeah. Naomi was very just oldest even, child. Even keeled. <laughs> even keeled. And then Ethan has been less even keeled. And my perspective, it, it seems the opposite for us because it seems I would say that the girls were way harder to than the boys. They were a lot easier. I think it depends on what you are talking about hormonal. Like, if you're talking about emotional, um, it doesn't, yeah, but I don't think it really matters if you are externally emotional or internally emotional. So no matter where on the spectrum they are, we are, right, we all are trying to figure out how to deal with those emotions. And so you can have, I mean, you can have... um, characteristically just a little bit more even-keeled kids for sure, but uh, people that look sort of really rock-solid, you don't necessarily know what's going on underneath. So um, if you're talking about emotionals and male teenagers, emotions and male teenagers, um, I can assure you that there are a lot there, even if they are not always expressed in the dramatic kind of ways. Yes. Looks different. Yes. I was going to say, I do agree that Naomi was easier, but I think that's just her personality. But um, if 
you look at the effects of the hormones on each child, which a male child has testosterone, I see that. It's very obvious in my young man who is wanting to be, uh, you know, like find something exciting to do and uh, he's an adventure seeker and he wants to be a man he wants to make his own decisions which I think is good it's like those are good things and then I see Naomi becoming a woman and being sensitive at times but somewhat maternal so it's like those hormones are doing what they should do and I do see them and I think Ethan's you know we're all talking about Ethan, yeah. But his his male testosterone is doing him good, but it's also causing right conflict because he's under authority and he wants to be a man who's not under authority, which eventually he will be, which is good, and that's what we want. So that's kind of how I see the hormones playing out in a good way, but not. I mean, they're, they're going to cause conflict because of, yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, what was your question? Well, you mentioned about the, uh, the intensity of uh, adolescents, teenagers, and the reason it's coming up for me is more of a curiosity kind of question. But at Thanksgiving, I was home uh, with, my, with my mom's family, and a couple of my nieces are like probably 12 and 14, and so they were talking about um, things, you know, about like COVID in particular that oh, it's so traumatic, and, and their parents and everything are saying, like, their whole youths were lost. And I was sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? You're just a teenager. How can you have all this angst? You don't even have history to have angst. And I was wondering if there's a risk of um, maybe, uh, what would you say, uh, not portraying to your kids that, well, this isn't serious, and maybe kind of hurting them as a, re- as a result. You know what I mean? I forgot my words today. I actually don't think I understand your question. I think it's... Do you understand being, dis- being dismissive, I think. So you were saying that, uh, like, well, yeah, they're drowning, they're overreacting to things, but is there a danger of dismissing how they're feeling and diminishing it? Kind of, is that also kind of a risk? Or can you crush them? So, so I'll speak to that. I mean, feelings are real. Right. And if we, it's not healthy to just take feelings and box them in and not, um, not be able to address and not be able to help work through them. And I do think the younger years are good grounds for that. That's why, like, some stress is actually good. You need to learn how to work through that. If everything is made very simple and easy and things fall into line. Helicopter parenting. Um, yeah. Then, then when real life stuff bumps up against you, when, and some real life stuff bumps up against you when you're 14, you have to understand that. Um, but then it becomes just bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And if, if, um, things are, um, sort of smoothed out so that the feelings aren't addressed. And you have to acknowledge that they're there to address them. Um, then then you're missing an opportunity to help develop that child um, in such a way that they can navigate it over time. So acknowledge, yes, this has been a very hard and stressful year. Yes, it makes you feel 
uncomfortable and that things are out of your control. Um, guess what? <laughs> Life is out of our control. We need to then somehow figure out where do we ground ourselves, and that would be in the gospel. That's a very clear, open conversation where we can have that. I, so I appreciate that, and I just want to second it with a, with a small story. I'm, I'm reading The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, and if you've never read that, just a full, unabridged, you should. Their faith, simple, biblical faith, is so encouraging. And um, along the lines of, you know, yeah, feelings are, are real, and you, you don't want to just run roughshod over them. Um, and there is a danger of, of, of wiping them off and ignoring them or something like that. But then you don't want to do that, but you also don't want to let them just let their feelings run roughshod over them. You want to teach them how to begin to have self-control over their feelings. And to do that, you need to be, one, relationally connected with them. Two, not afraid to speak the truth to them. And so there was just this one instance in the, uh, in the book. I just uh, I was listening to it on audiobook the other day. Corey, uh, she was a, a woman at this point, and she was, she was in love with this man. And, uh, and this man showed up at the door with the woman that he was now going to marry. And she was absolutely heartbroken, and she went up to her room, and she was bawling her eyes out. And her father, she's a full-grown woman at this time, her father came up, and, uh, and she was afraid that he was going to just speak. A, a, she didn't know what he was going to speak, but she was afraid that he, he might speak something that was untrue. And he came up to her and he said, Corey, the pain you feel is the pain of love. And there's no way that you don't feel the pain. It hurts. He said, but we can do two things with it. We can, we can squash it and pretend like it never existed, which isn't good, Corey. Or we can ask God to help us love him the way God loves him. Let's do that, Corey. And so it's just like, yeah, he... he he gave expression to the hurt she was feeling, and then he guided her towards the truth. And he knew the Bible enough, and he had a relationship with her enough to be able to do the same thing. And I think we want to do the same thing with our kids. And if I could say one more thing, we want to model how to handle adversity. We want to model how to handle adversity. And if we model it, then they're going to be more geared to model it. And if we model handle, handle, handling COVID well, then they're going to be geared to handle COVID well. And I think when I say that they have those giant feelings that are kind of magnified, it doesn't mean that as parents that you just are like, oh, well, that's just how she is and kind of dismiss that. I think lots of times with my kids um, when they had a big feeling like that, I would just say, well, why don't you tell me more about that? Tell me more about why you're feeling. Sometimes when they talk through it a little bit more, the, the, the feeling isn't quite as huge as they initially expressed, and then you can understand better where they're coming from and why they're having that big feeling and then you can help guide them but sometimes just with the initial bleh, you don't know so we, I think if I had been you with your nieces I would have been like so talk to me more about that like what what exactly what do you think you're missing out on because sometimes I think kids think they're missing out on stuff because people tell them they're missing out on stuff yeah that's a big that's a big deal life's not fair I didn't they got to do that I didn't <laughs> <laughs> Life's not fair, everybody. You just got to keep reiterating. Life is not fair. It is not fair. <laughs> Martha. Sure. I think the other thing is that um, we as parents are a safe place 
hopefully a safe place to express those emotions. And so sometimes the emotions get directed to you, and really there's a different source. Yeah. So you have to be careful to not react. I mean, Charles and that usually. But not, not to react personally, but to, as you have said, explore, oh, you seem really angry. Are you really angry at me? Or help them reflect about what that emotion really what the source is. And that kind of goes to what I was going to say at one of Tom's career. Is somebody told me this when I was uh, a new parent, and it really was helpful because it gave us a perspective is to realize that their misbehavior and their sinfulness is really not necessarily personal. And mm-hmm. I almost always took it personally. They were sitting against me. No, they're just little sinners. <laughs> so, so it's really hard to kind of separate yourself. So that's one thing I would say. And that goes from little kids to 26-year-olds. So <laughs> I think also if, if you're that I like the idea of being a safe place because I remember families coming to us and saying, your kids were so good. And I'm like, oh, really? I worked in the left way at our home. But then I got talking to some people that were older and, you know, Sue Pastor and people like that that had walked the walk a little bit. And it was the same thing. They said to me was, you're safe. You've got a safe place. And so what I tried to do, what I was encouraged to do is praise our children that when somebody said you you were really good, praise them. That they their behaviors were acceptable, were were appropriate. When maybe those other kids in that house were just being terrors. So just encouraging, having an encouraging word for children, even though you know at home they might just be that terror. Yeah. Yeah. Other questions, Chris. Um, how does um, engaging them with the gospel well, what does that look like as far as like changing from Bible story time for little kids to up into the teenage years? Yeah. Like that transition and getting at their hearts in the way that they are connected now. As to just, yeah, we're learning about Noah and he points to Jesus. You know what I mean? It happens on their schedule, and it happens inconveniently. So in other words, if you're kind of thinking, well, here's my time where I have my devotions, and then here's my time where I eat my breakfast, and then here's my time where I work, and then here's my time where I do this errand, and then here's my time where we have family, and then here's my time, um, and then any engagement or interruption from your kids is actually keeping you from accomplishing what you're wanting to accomplish, that's, that's, uh, th- that was your opportunity. Like, that's where it comes. It comes when you're not looking for it. It comes when you're not planning for it. You've actually laid the foundations when they're young in having consistent, regular family worship, bringing them to church, da-da-da-da-da. And it's not that you don't continue that when they're older, but it begins to really uh, happen in either conflict or engagement or what they're excited about or what they're staying up late doing when they shouldn't be doing or or just all sorts of things it just it it happens when you're not expecting it to happen that's when this really begins to get pressed down i don't know if other people can jump in on that i would say two two times of the when uh, things pop into my head 
One is staying up late. Be ready to stay up late. Yeah. You're never going to go to bed at a de- decent time for yeah. the next 10 years. Um, and they just, uh, just it's one. It's not fair. It, it's what happens. Yeah. Um, and That's true. the other thing is in the car, good discussions in the car. And I think this is why nobody has to look at anybody and nobody can leave. <laughs> so if you want to have a big discussion, say, Hey, I need to run to Burlington. You want to come with? Because nobody has to look at anybody. So that kind of takes a layer of eh, out of it and, and people can't leave. I mean, you might drive all the way in silence if nobody wants to talk, but nobody can walk out. Um, in fact, when Wes shared with me that he thought he was a believer, we were in the car driving around. And I think, I, I don't, I think it was subconscious, but he just kind of probably was wanting to talk to me about it. And that seemed like a safe time. And I just tried really hard to stay on the road. Um, but yeah, I would, I would recommend in the car. Brad, Elise, any thoughts on that? Well, I just was going to say, I, th- I also think um, relationships with other adults, uh, godly adults, whether that's a godly grandparent, um, so thankful for youth leaders, um, and just being able to connect them with other people that have, that they might um, be willing to give their ear to. So that's I think it's a very protective Yeah, thing. I would just say all the good things that you're putting into them when they're young, you're just going to see how those connect when they're older, and it just but it just connects in ways that you're not necessarily expecting, in in, in ways that you aren't necessarily planning for, uh, and as you continue to just arc your life towards God, godliness, God's people, and God's church, like things just start happening, um, and you kind of just have to be reactive as those things start happening. And I say things start happening, keying off of like what you said. Each of them start to go in this like different direction, and you're like, "Hold on, this was this was who you were, and this is how we deal with you, and this is who you are, and this is how we deal with you, and this is we got four of you, or we got five of you, or we got however many of you got, um, and you know this is how we're keeping things, you know, working here at the house." And they just it just starts to get a little bit messier when they get older, and you just got to be ready to kind of flex with who they are and how things are moving. No, no, it's just going to get harder as. Everyone's going in different directions. So I like what he's saying. You you become more reactive, but I would call it proactively reactive because <laughs> you are absolutely looking and have a mindset to be ready to engage the moment whenever it comes. And, um, and obviously there are times when you can't just drop whatever you're doing, but whenever you can, be ready to do that. And so you're now... Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, am I a servant of all? Am I a servant of my children? And am I ready to adjust myself to them um, in, a, in an appropriate way, um, I think? I'm just going to add one idea is that sometimes I think our conversations are less, it should be less of me talking and actually more of me maybe asking questions and letting them talk and kind of, hearing how they work through something or, or just what they're thinking. So in the car, I do better if I'm just asking questions and listening to the thought process and maybe helping them see that, oh, hey, that, that connects to the gospel or how do you think that could connect or 
what do you think is a good choice or why do you think they're acting that way and I know some kids aren't talkers so and I do usually have to say put your phone down <laughs> I want you to talk to me <laughs> I heard an illustration from Liz we did Liz Ebers one time right when she was like oh what I had to do with my boys specifically was I asked them a question I said we're playing something called conversation tennis and when I ask you a question I've hit the ball in your court now you need to hit the ball back into my court with, by saying something. Uh, and then they'd say something, and then she'd, ask, you know, she'd put the ball back in their court, and then she'd have to remind them, okay, now the ball's back in your court. Um, you know, just kind of funny. Uh, and so for family worship, I would say we've read books together. Like we read Gentle and Lowly. BJ would just read it aloud, and we would talk you know, about something. He would just ask what stuck out to you about that, and we would just have a conversation in the living room. So in a way, that helps bring about good thinking. Uh, they also listen to Al Mohler in the mornings, so there's another input. So we are looking for good input. So yeah. by reading good books together, listening to something together that's good, listening to good books in the car. So you, you do want input. Yeah. I guess what I'm just saying is when they're younger, that parenting funnel, right, everything is just very tight and very controlled by us. So, we, you know, this is when we have a family worship, and, and this is, these are our boundaries, and these are how we relate to them. As they get older, it, we, it be just everything becomes more relationally complicated. And so the discipleship of them becomes more relationally complicated. The massaging the gospel becomes more relationally complicated. It becomes less, you know, here's, here's what's going on, and here's how I'm going to respond. How does the input change in a way that's engaging to them? Yeah, yeah everything you said is really good. Because it's hard, it's hard to all be together once they get older, right? Everybody's in a different place. Like, we have less family time now where we're all there. Well, one of our people is missing. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> Coming back this Thursday. But, I mean, like, just just the reality of them getting older, there's, there is less time together. So... They work out in the morning. They listen to Al Mohler as he drives them to school. So it's an opportune time to give input. So you're talking about the content, how content changes? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's okay. Well, I just took your direction a totally different way. Yeah. You're maybe saying how. So, so you, you're looking. Yeah. yeah, you're looking for. You're looking for good resources that are going to engage them. You're lo- looking to ask what they're, you're probably looking to ask what they'd like to think about, um, what they'd like to, um, what topics they'd be interested in finding out more about, and then you're seeking good gospels and resources for that. Other question, uh, you know, Mike, I thought I saw Mike earlier, so Mike. I just had a question I was interested in, uh, in your advice. I have two older children. They've been out of the house for a long time. They live in Texas. They're married. They're not hostile to the gospel or to God. They just seem like they don't care. I would say that they seem like they're more focused on making their mark in the world rather than in spiritual things. And when I talk to them about spiritual things, I feel like it goes in one ear and out the other. And I just wonder if you had any advice on how I should continue with them. I think uh, we have, our three girls are not believers. Um, And I think for us, it's just a constant attempt to connect to them on all different kinds of levels, not just about the gospel. Um, 
And so I feel like the more connected I am to them, the more opportunities I'm going to have to talk to them about the gospel. So I would, if I were you, I would try to find some common interests, common things that you enjoy or that you're curious about and try to connect with them as often as possible, even if it's not about the gospel, so that when the gospel comes up, it's not, you know, well, he's calling us about the thing, you know, the church stuff and whatnot. That might, it might be more palatable to them if you're connected in other, in a lot of other different ways. I'm talking from a place of not having made a whole lot of traction in that direction, but we do spend a lot of time talking. We, I, the, any one of the kids will FaceTime everybody and we'll all talk for like 45 minutes. And, you know, there may be a few things that come up that have to do with the gospel, but a lot of it is just family stuff. But that's the relational glue that gives you the opportunity to stick the gospel at appropriate times. I wouldn't always go back to it in every conversation. I would not do that. That's just a, that's just like cat on the cat's fingernails on the on the chalkboard to them. Um, they know where you stand, so try to be connected with them. And that at appropriate times, I would even ask if you could talk about this. Don't just assume, because they are adults. Yeah, and the other thing I would caution against is is um, doing things that would be antagonistic, anta- either antagonistic or manipulative, because we have family members who kind of will do that with their children, where they kind of say something, and then then once that thing is out there, it makes it really awkward for the unbelieving person to continue to have a relationship with you and relate to you in a way that is comfortable. I was even talking to. Alisa yesterday in picking out books that I was going to give to Wes because we're all going to be together for Christmas. I was thinking, A, what would Wes like? B, what is not going to cause like rolling of eyes and general heavy sighs from the unbelieving kids when the believing kid opens the gift? Because I don't want to give them any more ammunition to be negative about the gospel. Um, just... Little things like that. I'm trying to be more intentional about how I relate to them. I just want to say what they're saying in another way. Um, there's a book called Practicing Affirmation that I think helped me to see that how I talk to my kids is significant in whether I'm like affirming them or maybe just showing some kind of like disapproval. So I, I'm not saying you're doing this, but we could be disappointed in their goals that they're not meeting up with what Yeah. Living for the world. What you would want them to live for, but actually affirming their uh their accomplishments. accomplishments and and so by doing that you're showing them that you genuinely are proud of them and that you love them and they know you're a Christian. So that reflects the gospel, and and um, and you can affirm an unbeliever in many many things because they're made in the image of Christ, in the image of God. So um, so just being affirming and uh, and and like they're saying, like seeking to to know what their interests are and being interested in them. My dad knew nothing about me. He knew nothing about what I was doing, and he just. I just didn't feel like he really 
cared because he never really wanted to know what I was doing. Um, whether I was doing something right or not, there was just this lack of connectivity because he just wasn't interested in what I was doing. So just a genuine interest is enough to be loving and a gospel witness, I guess. Good. Other question? In the back, Matt. Um, yeah, I'll try to make this to say, how, as, like, we haven't really had to deal with this issue because our kids have always been homeschooled, but now that they're going to public school, um, and just in general, as, especially my oldest two, Gracie and Lexi, they're starting to get old enough so they recognize differences in stuff that we believe with differences of, you know, the, more of the culture. Um, and... On one hand, I want them to be, as they grow up, I want them to be able to, you know, speak truth to wrong thinking. But at the same time, like, instilling in them, you know, a proper sense of respecting authority. And I just want to, I just would like your opinion on how that plays out and how to talk well through that. Like, I mean, I'll give a couple examples. Um... One time, Chelsea and I were talking in the car about some political policies that are that are starting to trickle down, and I mentioned a specific person's name. I'm not going to say who it was. Um, and then one of the kids from the back was listening and said, "That person's stupid," and I didn't know she was like paying attention. And in my head, I was like, "She's not wrong." <laughs> but how do I? Like, that's a political issue. And then, um, on a different note, um, Lexi came home from school the other day, and they read some ridiculous book about Mother Nature and how she controls everything and blah, 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 off into the rainbows and stars or whatever. They were super dumb. And I started, like, explaining to her why I thought that was wrong. And then Lexi's like, so you think my teacher is stupid? And she doesn't know what she's talking about? As Lexi could only say. And so, <laughs> just, like... You know, I don't want my kids to be, I don't want my kids growing up just like succumbing to whatever input is in their lives and they're not speaking out and saying what they believe. But at the same time, like I want them to have some sense of a, you know, respect for authority. But like they are starting to like see a big difference between what mommy and daddy believe at home and what the world is kind of like pressing down on them from different, from different arenas, I guess you could say. Yeah. I think that um, for us, our kids were in public school, and we had to have a lot of conversations about um, not only respecting authority that may have a different worldview, but also respecting other families and and the way that they do things with their kids. Um, You know, Alex wanted to go in and tell all the kids that Halloween was of the devil, because at the time we were at a church that was... Like Halloween is a big no-no, um, and uh, you know they. I, I had to have a conversation with all of them because we didn't do. I'm looking to see who all is in here. I don't want to mess with anybody's children. We didn't do the the big person at Christmas with our kids, um, and so we I had one that wanted to educate the other kids. Yeah, and I had to, I had to pull them aside and say, listen, okay. Um, that is, you're, you're being unkind right now. You're being unkind. Because if that mommy and daddy want to do that with their kids, that's their choice. 
and you, and you're you're being really mean. It's kind of like telling somebody that you know what's inside a gift before they open it or something. It's just not nice. Um, so I think sometimes we're taking things that are a big deal to us and. I think we need to be careful about how much we get into it with our kids. Like, for instance, I think it's enough to say to your kids, well, your teacher doesn't doesn't know Jesus like mommy and daddy know Jesus, so they're going to look at things a little bit differently. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have things to teach you. It just means that sometimes when we talk about things with you, and that's why we want to hear about what happens at school, you know, we want to make sure that you understand how God feels about the things that you learn at school. But it doesn't mean that your teacher... Um, can't teach you how to spell and do math and things about the world and science. It just means that her perspective is a little different than ours. And try not to moralize it beyond that. Elise, were you going to say something? My thoughts are a little all over the place, so I'm going to try to keep it. Um, So first of all, I do think that um, a couple of things, just being careful of what conversations we are super guilty of having... um, uh, conversations that we think the kids aren't listening to and yet they are just sucking things up and I, I think we set some bad patterns when they were young and it's just sort of catching up with us a little bit so um, so there's that there's also I believe when we come across stuff I mean whether we homeschool or public school they're going to be um, presented with other world views and we have the opportunity to say hey look see how this doesn't um, line up with something, you know, um, Buddhism, uh, no, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, see how nature can't bring harmony to us, you know, like uh, being able to take those things and then um, really pull out the gospel aspect to it and, and um, be able to communicate that the, the teacher does, does not see things this way, so she's going to present you with something that she thinks is is right. I actually, what I wanted to make sure I said um, was I've heard about the situation where BJ had encouraged everybody to that as parents um, in the public school system, if you hear about something that is uncomfortable, that you actually have to be the one that steps up. If it's, it's worth going to bat about, that you step in and say, these are our values. If there is something that's going to be taught, um, I have heard of brave parents, um, Christian parents doing this and, you know, you're the one having the conversation, and your child's not the go-between. Um, and I applaud them for that. So. My only thought, Matt, is uh, you're making a distinction between the authoritative office that they hold and what they're specifically doing. So in the same vein as, uh, you know... Um, we honor the president, we, we whether honor, or not we, we yeah. like the president as a person. Yeah, Paul we writes, honor the, honor the king. You know, Lexi needs to honor her teacher and then you talk through her how that yeah. doesn't mean you have doesn't mean you're not seeking to uh, distinguish the teacher's worldview from God's worldview the other thing is as they get older they may have teachers that they have conflict with and i basically had a talk with one of my with Kate i think it was when she was in middle school and said listen you are going to have people in your life, your life that are difficult that are hard to get along with, that don't understand where you're coming from. And as much as you can, you need to try to work within that construct because it's going to happen. Well, great questions. Thank you for your participation. Thank you for your engagement. Thank you, panel, for your 
honest and constructive participation here as well. Let me close this out in prayer and then feel free to browse the book table. Uh, and then we have this, again, this funny thing, this clock up here that starts ticking at five and then it goes down to zero. Now, when it hits zero, that's actually when we start our service. So just a funny thing, just want to let you know. Um, so feel free to browse the book table. Uh, we'll start our worship service here in just a little bit. And then you can buy books galore after the service. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you, Father, for the wisdom that you give to us through your word. Uh, Any wisdom that was shared here, Father, is not necessarily the wisdom of lived experience. It's the wisdom of your word put into practice through our experience. Uh, To whatever degree we've put it into practice wisely. Uh, So help us to live wisely. Help us to love your word and to live in keeping with it and to uh, instruct our children in the way they should go. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Well, good morning. So good to see all of you. My name is BJ Walters. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeeming Grace, and we are so glad that you're here. I want to direct your attention to just a few announcements. First of all, our choir practices are going to take place tonight, so our youth choir is taking, that practice is taking place from 6.15 to 7, and our adult choir, which is actually ninth grade through adults, obviously, from 7 until 8. Home group leaders meeting uh, tomorrow, 6 to 7.30, dinner is provided for you, so just a reminder about that. And then a couple of other special things. So the men's retreat, which is going to take place on January and 7th and 8th, uh, that sign up begins today. And so Mike Criscolo, would you stand? Mike is taking care of sign up. He's going to be in the back so you can ask him any questions, uh, but we very much hope you go. It's going to be an excellent time. So the men's retreat sign up starts today for January 7th and 8th. I want to bring that to your attention. I also want to bring to your attention just the invite cards for our Christmas services, which begin today. Christmas is for the broken. These are just wonderful cards that you can give to friends and coworkers and neighbors and invite them to join us for our Christmas services. And also, one other thing I want to bring your attention to. In every other seat, uh, I feel like a stewardess, in the seat back pocket in front of you, uh, in every other seat, you are going to notice uh, a little Gospel of John uh, that's put together by Crossway that we have there. That's for you to take uh, to read for yourself. That's for you to take to give to a friend. Um, you know, oftentimes during the Christmas season, folks are just thinking more and more about questions they might not normally think about. Well, the Gospel of John is going to introduce them to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, if you are a visitor, feel free to just take this. And if you're a regular here at Redeeming Grace, feel free to take it and give it to someone. And then if you are a visitor, we are so glad that you're here. There is this little welcome card uh, that is just, uh, as you're coming in the door, um, you may have been handed one, or as you're coming in the door, they're, they're just right back there. This is just an opportunity, if you want to hear from me or from Brad, our associate pastor, or from any one of our other leaders uh, about our church, we would love to visit with you. If you want to find out more about our church, we would be happy to chat with you. Now, we also don't want to trouble you, so if you'd prefer us not contact you, you can mark that, and we will honor that. But we are so glad that you're here, and we hope to see you again. You can just fill this out, drop it in the giving box to the right just before you exit, uh, and that will take care of that. Other than what I've forgotten, I think that takes care of things, and so for our call to worship, Cal and Renee are going to light uh, the Advent candle. Cal and Renee, why don't you come on up? Today we relight the first two candles of the Advent wreath, the candle of hope and the candle of peace. And we light the third candle of Advent. This is the candle of joy. As the coming of our celebration of the birth of Jesus, our Savior, draws nearer, our joy builds. Isaiah the prophet spoke of the blessings that would come to the earth because of Jesus Christ. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, 
Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. From the New Testament, the words of Peter to Christians were, who were suffering for their faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Would you please stand?
with him to be many things. This next song celebrates all he is and all that he came to be so that we can be. Doxology. Big word that just means praise to God. Verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord the great. Amen. Amen. And it's centered. We're going to read a confession of faith that was penned in 451 A.D. An ancient, ancient confession of who the Lord Jesus Christ is that we still hold with joy and love today. So, during this affirmation of faith, I'm going to read the plain text. I'd ask you to read the bold with me. This is from the Council of Chalcedon. 
Following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that at once complete in divinity and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting of a rational soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards His Godhead, and at the same time, of one substance with us as regards his manhood, like us in all respects, apart from sin. As regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before all ages. But yet, in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the God-bearer, as regards his manhood. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, Recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by their union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence. Not as parted or separated into two persons, but one the same Son, and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. Glorious mystery indeed. <laughs> 